Hired by faith, driven by results, it's the Compassion Network Podcast with Tia Ramey. Thank you for tuning in to the Compassion Network, where we discuss leadership from the perspective of faith. I'm your host, Tia Ramey, and I'm excited to introduce to you my network of compassionate leaders around the state of Ohio that made changing lives their business. Tonight, I want to introduce you to someone that advocates for the health of African-American men, For the second year in a row, black males have had the highest overdose rate in Ohio compared to other groups, and that's according to data from the Ohio Department of Health, not to mention the health crisis that is COVID-19 and the impact it's making on the black community. It's devastating. Tonight, Perry Gregory from the African American Male Wellness Initiative will provide us with the tips and insight needed to put faith in action and help the African American community. Perry, welcome to the Compassion Network. Hello, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. How thank are you, guys you for doing? having me on. I am doing blessed, and thank you for having me on this show. You know, I really like your intro and how you're really talking about, you know, the faith aspect of doing this work. So thank you. I, and it takes faith to do the work. So I want to dive right in because I only have 30 minutes to talk to you about something that's really complex. There's a lot of history around this topic, um, a lot of emotions, a lot of feelings. And so I want to start by just asking if you can talk to us about your professional background and the impact your faith has made on the work that you do. So I am currently the Senior Vice President for the National Center for Urban Solutions. And we are the founding organization of the African-American Male Wellness Agency. For the last 10 years, I have, in my work in particular, I have been doing a lot of work in workforce development, health and wellness, and education, and education in creating solutions for the urban community, but also black men in making sure we have sustainable career pathways and getting black men to be healthy, go to the doctor, you know, knowing the numbers, and through education, you know, moving hard to solve vulnerable populations into the workforce. And I will tell you that um, by doing this work, my father started this our organization about 30 years ago. So my life, I've spent, you know, embedded in the community, working with, you know, hard to serve vulnerable populations, you know, African-American men who are oftentimes disengaged. And I will tell you that, you know, my faith in God, We couldn't do this work without God. And the more that I continue to do this work, I know that, you know, this is a passion and um, that God has moved me into. And, you know, having faith is an important aspect. I believe that. And, you know, I really appreciate the work that you do because so many of us do not have the faith to seek out to save lives. I mean, that's, uh, that's, no small feat, you know, what you're trying to take on. So can you just briefly educate us on what some of the top health concerns are of black men? Because I know that you're um, in your male wellness walk, you guys, you, I've heard that you have had to uh, send people uh, to the hospital, you know. Um, talk to us a little bit about that work and the things that you guys do to bring education uh, to the black community. The African-American Male Wellness Agency was started in, 2004 by John Gregory and um, we were doing a research project with Ohio Health uh, and we were working at a hood at the time called Uzi Alley which most people know it as Greenbrier or Woodland Meadows and what we wanted to see was why why men didn't go to work 
And so in this research project, um, by partnering with Ohio Health, we guaranteed the men that we give them jobs making between 17 to $21 an hour if they did this study for um, 90 days. And what happened was when we did the study, what we realized is uh, the reason why most men, you know, wasn't going to work is because of the health disparities that they were facing, you know, whether it be high blood pressure, you know, diabetes, um, prostate cancer, um, mental health, the HIV. And so out of that study, what we did was um, and we, started a, we started a wellness walk. You know, Mr. Gregory at the time, he wanted to, you know, he didn't want to do a march because we didn't feel that, like, March had solved anything. So in our first year, you know, when he called up all the, you know, the fraternal organizations, he called up Jobs and Family Services, and, you know, he got the leaders in the community together and said, what can we do? So our first year we had a walk. We had about 700 men um, show up at our first walk. Um, but after the walk, uh, um, the community stakeholders, you know, they approached us and said, hey, what, how are we going to keep this thing moving? And so, you know, the next year we did another walk, which had grown to about 1,500 participants. But then it was really the wow. third year where we looked at the walk and said, what can we do to really make an impact on black men? And so that third year we added a health screening component in which we started providing men free health screening where they can come and get their blood checked for, blood checked for free. They can get, you know, get their, get their finger pick and get their glucose checked. Uh, we were doing some HIV certifications, and the community took a hold of that. And I will tell you, um, 16 years later, you know, we last year, I know you was out there, we had over 30,000 participants that show up at our wall. Yes. You know, right now we're in, a, we're in a, um, 12 different cities and make an impact with black men. Um, some of these cities consist of Washington, D.C., um, Charlotte, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, Youngstown, Ohio, um, Cincinnati, Ohio. And what we realize, no matter where we go, the awareness of education in black men and their health disparities is, is, is not something that we like to talk about. You know, for so long, African-American men, you know, because of our trust with the healthcare system and the lack of high-quality health systems in our community, we have been disengaged with really having this um, conversation around health. It's not something that we really like to talk about, but to really ignite the community, particularly men, to be more involved in really caring about their health. So can you talk a little bit about community stakeholders? Because there's one thing that you guys do that I'm such a fan of. Um, I would love for people to know about the barbershop talk uh, and, and the way that you have engaged people in the community. So if you can talk a little bit about that and, and just, you know, what is what is the role that we have to play in making this uh, or, you know, removing the stigma of even having these sort of conversations with our men? Something that I'm really big on is collaboration. And I will tell you, accelerated growth of the initiative has been through our efforts of really informing and bringing the entire community together. And so what we do, we go, we're grassroots. You know, we reach the community by, you know, going door to door through our face-to-face approach. But one of the things that, you know, when we started this, what we said was we got to get everybody to work together. So now when you look at our initiative, it consists of, you know, the health department. You have jobs and family services. 
we have about 50 different corporate sponsors that range from Equitas, Cover My Pants. You know, we have, you know, Columbus City Schools. We have, you know, all the mental health agencies. You know, we have all the faith-based churches. We have lots of community leaders and stakeholders who really have come together because what we did want this to do to be is our organization driving it. We really want this to be a community-driven approach. And that's when you look at the growth of the organization, that has been the key success that we've been able to accomplish, partnering, you know, with the state of Ohio. And, and through all of these partnerships that continues, continuously allows us to grow and make significant impact. That's amazing. And you guys are doing such incredible work. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of what you do, and, and I'll tell you why, because and it's really personal for me. Um, I think of, you know, of course, black men. I think of my dad. I think of my husband. I think of my brothers, you know. Um, and to be honest, I cannot think of, you know, times especially my brothers became men, I don't see where the, the priority continues for them to do just regular checkups, you know, and I, I honestly, can't think of my father even going to the doctor outside of maybe he was in a car accident, you know, or something um, happened or, you know, he got hurt while he was trying to repair something. But just to go, uh, that's not really something that he would do. And then I noticed the same thing for my grandfather. It is so common that men kind of, um, they neglect to do some of those self-care sort of things. So, you know, what does what role does do women play in helping? How can they partner with your initiative? You know, what is our role as women to help men um, to be better engaged with their doctors? Because you spoke to some of the history and the lack of trust, which, you know, that's, that's real. You know, how do we overcome that? I think when you look at the history of men, just to kind of further elaborate, um, that, that lack of trust, some of the things is we're too tough as men. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're stubborn. My wife tells me all the time, you know, I'm a stubborn person. And, and I think that's what most men, because we don't like to accept the truth. You know, and a lot of times we look at a lot of different African-American because maybe they didn't have fathers in their life or they went through so much um, systemic issues, you know, in growing up with their childhood, or whether it be mental health issues, you know, having that real conversation it's not just about help. It becomes uh, with a lot of our different conversations. But I will tell you that, you know, when you talk about women have in our life, uh, it's, it's significant. You know, uh, when you look at, when you go to our wellness initiatives, you know, and seeing women who are bringing out their, their nephews, their children, and their husband, you know, having that woman influence. You know, uh, we do at the walk, if you ever come, what you'll see is we have about 100 women you know, in our screening area, and they're walking around the event in the park, and they're going to get men to get their screening. And we know one thing, men love women. <laughs> and so that yeah. becomes an easier conversation. But I think even from a woman perspective, assisting in that man's life to make sure that she's doing the follow-up to um, schedule him appointments. Because, um, we're, you know, most men, we're not pretty good at um, – schedule keeping, but, you know, following up and doing something intense and really encouraging him, I think it's very extremely important. So we have a generalized health crisis as a black community, and now there's even more stress on that with, you know, this pandemic. Uh, can you speak to how COVID-19 has impacted black men and what should we be doing as a community to support one another? 
COVID-19 is really an interesting conversation. I think when you look at not just black men, but the African-American community, um, mm-hmm. health, the health disparities in the African-American community has been something that's happened since slavery days. It, it actually hasn't got better. The conditions continue to worse. But when you really look at COVID-19, I think there's a, a number of different perspectives that we have to look at. One is health. You know, uh, because we have these underlying um, conditions, whether it be heart disease, whether it be, you know, glucose, these things contribute to, you know, individuals actually having that COVID-19 be more impactful. But when you look at the economic situation, African-American men already were had the highest unemployment rate. And so now when you talk about, you know, 40 million people or that are going to be unemployed, we know that African-American men are probably going to suffer most. Um, looking at, you know, you look at Detroit, you look at New Orleans, you look at Chicago. These are all predominantly uh, African-American cities where African-American men live. But I, I mean, not just in those cities. When you go back and look at the prison system currently right now, you know, in Ohio and across the nation, African-American men, we make up majority of the population in prison. And, and when you see African-American men right now in prison who are being impacted by COVID-19 from these underlying um, conditions, it lets you know that there's more work to be done. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, earlier this week, Judge Terry Jamison spoke to some of the economic disparities of them having to be essential workers, you know, and she spoke to, um, you know, some of them may not have good health insurance, you know, or that's a big issue in the African-American community that's impacting. So there's, it's so layered and it's so multifaceted, you know, and so the question becomes, you know, what do we do now as a, as a community uh, and able to overcome the things that we are seeing because there's so much work to be done and it's not really just a black problem. I would say right now, and I would, I would hate to be the person that says this, but I really think it's a gift and a curse. The mm. curse is the COVID-19, but the gift is, you know, even what we, the work that we've been doing and really creating awareness in the African-American community across the country, you know, the challenge sometimes is getting people to really hear the message. But I think now that COVID-19 has really highlighted and made that message more clear to people that we have to do something as a community. Even in, and I don't always start with government. I think it starts with us. You know, it starts with the black community beginning to really work together, you know, beginning to really have uh, meaningful conversations that are really solutions driven. So we now we can come together and really start putting some, and, and it's not really about right now, it's about post. Because, you know, when you hear the news and you hear the, um, the policymakers talk about what's going to happen in the next 18 months, we got to begin to plan what does that look like, you know, from a financial standpoint. How do we make sure black men are, you know, are working in high-quality um, jobs? How do we make sure black men who own businesses are, you know, getting the proper funding that they can upscale and be able to, to – to, to sustain when the next time this crisis happens. Because, you know, when you look at the models and the predictive models, this probably won't be the last pandemic that we see. But futuristically speaking, we can be prepared and to make sure that, you know, particularly the African-American community has the resources, the supportive services, and also the financial support to 
to make sure that we are, you know, we are competing with our, against other races. That's so good. I, it's so good. I think that one thing that you said that I really want to touch on is um, really just the importance of looking inward in our own community to see what we can do. Uh, because there's so many times that we miss opportunities to solve problems because we're trying to figure out who should be solving it, you know, for us, instead of, you know, allowing people to want to be a part of the collaboration with us, you know, in, in, in helping do the work that's already being done. So I love that you spoke to ownership in some of this. Another thing that um, I would like to address is just uh, the importance of trend prediction. Uh, I'm so grateful seven years ago that I had started making a shift towards, you know, um, having a career that allowed me some workforce flexibility and working from home, and I had to develop new skills and things that I, w- I wasn't really even taught in college just because I saw where things are going. So it is very important that we are competitive in the market and that we pay attention to the trends in, in workforce development and, um, and not allow, you know, changes to trample us, you know, that are happening because things change. It does, and sometimes um, it, we're not pushed into change in a way that is uh, uh, graceful, <laughs> but I'm sure that this has been traumatic on on everyone in some sort of way. But I do want to back up just a little bit and, and address some trust because moving forward, um, I would like to know, uh, do, do you have resources or solutions as to uh, what, when people have questions or black men have questions and concerns about their health? How can they begin to find doctors that they can trust? You know, what does that process look like? Yes. So one of the things that we have been doing is working intensively to really put together a model that black men know where to go. So throughout the course of the year, we've already been hosting a lot of different educational awareness events. So we have our um, Real Man, Real Talk which is supported by the state of Ohio. And through that real man's mm. talk is that it is it's built around um, having conversations with men around the mental health crisis. And what we're doing is we're bringing men together along with barbers and mental health professionals. Cause, and we brought the barbers in because the barbershop was the country club for black men. We know that was the place that black men would go and talk and we would be open to talk about our current issues. Uh, that, to me, that was probably one of our most events. So we were always challenging men to get involved with that. You know, I will tell you some um, success stories. You know, last year when we had the event, and a lot of times what most people, what society will say is, you know, they'll look at the individuals who uh, may be most vulnerable or low-income populations. But what we have seen through our, you know, in our meetings is. It's a total different population. It's the middle. It's the middle. It's the middleman. It's the higher level uh, African American man who, you know, sometimes because of his position or his authority, you know, that they don't want to go to the doctor. You know, they don't want to really have that real intense mental health conversation. Another thing that we're doing is we have our cooker with dads. You know, um, that that's one of our fun events. So when we brought dads together and they are able to come out and do healthy cooking and do a uh, cook-off competition with the children. But it's fun, and it's enlightening. Uh, we recently, wow. last year, we have, a, we have a project that's called the Black Impact Project, in which we have partnered with um, Dr. Gray and Dr. Joseph from the Ohio State University, 
in which we're doing a research project on 100 black men. And we really want to see what are the true things that we can do to really improve the health in black men. And so through this year's study, you know, they're going to be provided, they're provided with a health coach who is intensively um, contacting them, doing the scheduling of their appointments. Uh, we have some different healthy cooking options that the gentlemen will have for uh, throughout the course of the year. Whatever They'll have healthy meals. they have memberships at the gym. We'll pair them in groups, and they will be working together. Um, and then we also have our financial empowerment wellness series. And so through these events, this, this is how we really want to speak and spark the message. You know, at that financial empowerment event, we're talking to black men about, you know, if for so long, you know, we're not investors. We don't save our money. So we're talking about savings. We're talking about uh, home ownership. We're talking about investing in the market. And another thing that we're doing is we're putting together a resource guide that will really tell black men, okay, if you want to go to the doctor, here's some black physicians that's in your network. But also, I'll, I'll always tell people to, to, to do, do your own research. Go out there and find a, a black doctor. You know, try to establish a relationship. Relationship. But go. Also, you can go to your local Franklin County uh, Health Department. They have a plethora of resources that are available for men. That is good. Oh my goodness, I had no idea. No, no, that was fantastic. I had no idea that you guys did so much. Um, I had a conversation with my husband about a week ago, and he was um, feeling a little discouraged at the time that um, he was saying that there's not enough community for men, you know, who want to be good men. And, and, and so I'm so glad to hear that you all are working on that work. And, and there's a lot of, you know, people. it's easy to get into trouble. <laughs> it's really easy. There's a lot of people who will help you um, destroy your life, but I'm so glad to hear that, you know, you men are building a community for men who want to build up their life, and, and it's so multifaceted. It sounds like you're dealing with the whole, you know, mind, body, spirit, finances, all the above. So thank you so much for the great work that you do. I do want to pivot a bit and speak to mental health um, and stigma because you mentioned that you were partnering with the state of Ohio to address stigma. Can you yes, talk ma'am. a little bit more about that? So mental health, uh, and I really want to have a little bit of discussion about this. Um, this is it's, it's, it's rising, and, it's not, and it, it is not improving. And I think when you look at the opioid crisis as a direct correlation to rising mental health, you know, when you talk about black men in particularly, um, the opioid is really starting to impact black men, you know, in Columbus alone. I know that the death rate, I think it was like two times in comparison to other ethnic groups. But mental health is something that we have to talk about, you know. And, and a lot of men, they don't want to talk about it. The, one conversation is, you know, the conversation of the acidity of fathers in their life, you know. And being able to open up and talk with different men and really having real conversations about how can you, um, how can you improve and, and really eliminate some things that may be in your life. There was a recent when Dwayne Wade retired, you know, one of the things that he said he was going to do was he was going to go and see a, a mental health coach because he didn't know what he was going to do after basketball. So, so many people 
think because they're maybe at a high level or a high statue that they don't want to have that conversation. But, you know, you, you may not have to go to a doctor. I know through my network of friends, one of the things that we try to challenge each other to do is, is, is to really have real conversations with each other, you know. Um, and I think as men, we have to be real about that. You know, if we're riding in the car, you know, you know, me and my buddies, one of the things that we kind of highlight is we're not going to talk about women. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to talk about things that are going to be worthwhile to our mental capacity. Hmm. That's so good. I, I'm so glad that you spoke to that. I'm, I'm seeing more conversation around mental health, and, and I'm glad that you mentioned um, that there are even high income earners. Just because things look good on the outside doesn't mean that there isn't some mental health work that needs to be done. I read a statistic some time ago. It wasn't specific to black men, but it was saying about men in general that if they earned over 80000 a year, they were twice as likely to commit suicide. Isn't that something? Um, and that number really disturbed me, which shows that, you know, the level of pressure and responsibility that if they don't have good outlets and they're not embracing uh, mental health, uh, then, then you're at a high risk. And they said it mostly because their use of alcohol is higher, which I can see because if you are a businessman, you are probably um, doing deals over wine and then you celebrate them over champagne and there's probably uh, some alcoholism in between, you know, just trying to wind down, get some rest, get some sleep. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that people uh, abuse substances, but uh, I'm so glad that you said that. And earlier this week we had a therapist that came on and she said that she loves when people come to her and there's no one uh, no one, nothing in particular is wrong. They just want to work on themselves. And, and I thought that that was really profound to hear that you don't have to be broken to do mental health work. You just have to recognize that you want to get a handle on your life and the things that go through your mind. So, Especially Terry, right now, Lauren is – go ahead. No, 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 please. And I think especially right now, I think it's more critical that we really practice good mental health um, training through our own practices right now through this current crisis. You know, men being at home, you're starting to see a rise in domestic violence cases, you know, contrary to what people believe, violence is spiking. And what, you know, research is showing that a lot of that is having to do with the mental capacity that most men are struggling with right now. Mm, so can you give us some encouraging words, you know, um, some good faithful words that men can rest on um, to move forward and, and encourage them to seek the help that they need? I would say is, you know, you know, we always speak to win. Speak to win and speak to have mind clarity and don't be afraid to talk. You know, real man, real talk, that's about opening up and freeing yourself. And when you begin to do that, what you will uh, – having your life is you will bring prosperity in your life and you will begin to open up doors that you probably never thought you could do. But to the community, I would challenge us all. Keep, let's keep working together. Let's keep figuring out the solution. We do not have to depend on anybody to create a solution for our community. We are the way we are. We are the thinkers of our community and it depends on us and it starts with us. Thank you so much for saying that. That was really, really good. And, again, ownership is so important. You know, these are our fathers, our brothers, our sons, you know, our husbands, our spouses. And um, a good friend of mine, Dr. Michelle Reynolds, always says those who are closest to the problem are closest to the solution. 
So, Perry, um, tell us how we can support you in the work that you're doing every day. Yeah, you can support us through a number of ways. We always ask for volunteers, particularly with the African American Male Wellness Agency. We need men, more men to step up and volunteer and take leadership roles and coordinate the initiatives. Uh, we're always looking for men to be mentors. We have a current initiative. It's called Calling All Dads. We want more dads to be involved, and so we want you to take the pledge. And that's a partnership we have with Jobs and Family Services, where we are trying to get more men to be involved in their child's education life. But the biggest thing also is if you're a financial supporter, I gotta throw this in there. We need we need financial support. We you know we look at things that are coming home and that has faded away. We don't want this initiative to fade away. If, if we can sustain it through our own financial support with addition to our corporate supporters, we know that we can make impact. Tell us how we can find you. Where can they donate? You can find me at two different locations at ncussolutions.com. You can donate at aawalk.org. If you go to the sponsor section, there's a section that hits the drop down that says donate. And there's a number, you know, even if it's a dollar, five dollars, or even ten thousand dollars, we we will we are happy to receive it. Everything counts. So that was ncus.org. Was that right? Ncus.com and then aawalk. Aawalk.org. Yeah, aawalk. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Got it. I did put the aawalk.org on the website. Um, and so if you go to the website of Compassion Network, you can read Perry's bio, and you can find a link. So if you heard him, he said to donate. He said you can mentor and volunteer. So be a part of the initiative. Please be a supporter. Um, if this touches you in any way, then I hope that you will find a way that you can contribute. And these are all things that you can do right from home. So in closing, guys, the Compassion Network is all about leadership from the perspective of faith. It takes great faith to see the needs of your community and make it your mission to help save lives. Leader like Perry Gregory does not accept the status quo, but uses his faith to make a difference. Next week on the Compassion Network, Congressman Bill Johnson will talk to us about fatherhood and the process of healing Ohio families. In addition, Treasurer Cheryl Brooks Sullivan has a message about overcoming the impossible and much more. Perry, thank you again for being a part of this. I, I just have to stop and say thank you before we officially close because this was an important conversation, and I know you're very busy, so I appreciate you lending your time to have this discussion with me. No, thank you for having me, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Thank you all for tuning in to the Compassion Network podcast. Please follow us on social media and let faith lead you into greatness. You are listening to the Compassion Network Podcast.